that areas where you can rent only, that's the coming. And that's other parts, but it comes the housing collapse, and then they come up with a new plan, which is rental only for this manageable society. But to watch tonight's news, of course, uh, everything was about supply and demand and, and, and uh, very vague, everything's very vague on it and why things are happening. And they were even astounded that there's going to be a, a warm current coming up into Canada in January. Well, every January we get the January thaw for a week or so, and this is the typical January thaw coming up. And because they have no memory and they don't uh, remind the people, they don't nudge the people. You see, it's not their job to nudge you and make you remember. So they always present it as bizarre weather. Bizarre weather. Everything's going crazy. We get bizarre weather. Well, this is winter in Canada. We get the January thaw. Then it goes back into the deep freeze for a while, too. This is natural. But, yeah, to listen to the, to the world as it's presented to the masses, everything's a big puzzle. It's just a big puzzle with spontaneous happenings across the planet that no one ever foresaw. It's all, and they bring on experts, too, who go around in circles and contradict each other and leave you even more confused. And then you throw your hands up and, and, and put down to acts of God. Everything's an act of God, I guess. And maybe they're right. So they, just, they just don't tell you which God they're talking about because I think it's a two-legged one sitting uh, in high, some high building somewhere. But that's the real world. That's the real world. We're going straight into an agenda. And at the same time, we're seeing the, the circuses for the public. And I, I, I hate to do this. I hate to uh, sort of diffuse people's um, fire or put it out, dampen it. But, um, but the whole lead-up to American politics is, is, is so much like show business it becomes a bit tiring. It's like circuses. And Canada isn't much different. Canada's copied a lot of the U.S. system in election times when they pull out balloons and everybody gets badges and they, and they wear all kind of fancy hats and big banners. And it's a rah-rah thing. And it's just like a circus. It's like clowns in a circus. Uh, and I, I don't understand what that's got to do with the seriousness of the situation, to be honest with you. I can't get into this party mood. Uh, it just doesn't work on me. And we have all different parties pushing, the mainstream parties pushing, really for the same agenda. And uh, pretending that they're not, of course, but they all go along the same agenda because they have done for as long as I've been alive uh, in every country. Because we're all on this global agenda. It was a done deal uh, when they signed it all into the United Nations Charter at the end of World War II. But they must keep the public thinking that we're still somehow the same. Even though the average person can sure look back on their lives and say, my God, how things have changed. Well, you're 20, 30, 40 years old, makes no difference at all. There's drastic changes and very quick, very, very quick. Uh, when I was born, you, you generally had two parents. And that was an, had been the norm for many, many, many centuries, way, way down through time. And within about 20 years, uh, starting with Hollywood, of course, and, and magazines and television interviews about Hollywood and the stars breaking up and getting divorced and all that, and anybody followed suit because people don't think for themselves, they follow the stars. And if the stars do, it must be okay. And it was about that time, too, uh, that they, they were throwing religion out the window 
and the community that used to help each other. And they were bringing in psychotherapy. Uh, psychotherapy began to be, work with the stars as well. There's a big flood of them into psychotherapy. And that became the norm, and everyone followed suit, and it became big business. So they replaced one religion with another, you see. Uh, but they also pre- uh, replaced the family with single-parent families. And that's all happened in a, a few short years, not because it was time for it to happen by some law of nature, but because it was, it was pushed that way from a hundred different sources. And those involved didn't understand that at all. Because most folk don't think through things. In fact, you'll find, unfortunately, most people don't think, period. They can parrot verbatim often what they're, they're told on debates and by, on television, but they don't really think about things and come to their own conclusions at all. They're pretty well about anything. And it's a sad thing to say, but it's very, very, very true. But when I see these elections getting geared up for, for the circuses, and the mudslinging is just entertainment for the public. At least that's what I, how I view it. And we get the little scandals with different politicians. And, and that keeps us chomping away on tidbits. And it's all a show, a big circus show. Because the big agenda marches on. You know how many bureaucrats are involved in the global system that we're actually in? And you don't, you don't elect any one of those bureaucrats in the federal government. Not a single one. And the guys on top at the heads of these departments, they know what their agenda is. And they can go back to the, the, the founding charter of the United Nations and see the role right in there, what their job is. So it doesn't matter who gets voted in or out of politics. Uh, the system rattles on regardless. And that's the way it was set up. H.G. Wells wrote about it a long time ago. He said this basically bypasses politics, where bureaucrats now can send departments across to other countries or the League of Nations, that was the, the embryo of the United Nations, and get the job done uh, without the interference of politicians. And then we had Professor Carol Quigley coming out with Tragedy and Hope, and the big book that backed it up, it was called The Anglo-American Establishment where he fills in all the little blank spaces of history and, and between the battles and tells you why they happened, who funded them and what the, the, the long-term plan was. And he, he said that there was a parallel government in existence back in the 1960s in his own book. And how did he know? Well, he was the historian, the official historian for this group that was the parallel government in the U.S. And he... Uh, he said the reason they came into being was because there were too many irreconcilable differences in society between groups and uh, segments and subsegments and subcultures and all the rest of it through society to be to have any peace. They couldn't get anything done with arguing. And therefore, what they'd done is this society made sure that every president and his advisors belonged to the same institution the rest down below all the little politicians you know the wannabes the little psychopaths where they were allowed a certain amount of competition within their parties for brownie points and slagging the other guys but they had no real real say their job is to act like crane seals and clap their fins and cheer their leader that's what their job is 
the party over everything else. But the guys at the top are always picked and vetted by the Council on Foreign Relations for the United States. So much so that here in Canada, where you know, the people I don't know, they, they, can, they can tell us more, I guess, because we're so apathetic, maybe. But they do tell us more. And we had on the, the, the Canadian Broadcasting uh, the Television, that's the national broadcasting run by the government, the, the BBC of Canada. They gave us, uh, uh, in 2005, uh, a mainstream news uh, blurb from the, the Council of Foreign Relations, uh, acting as the Council itself, instead of being, being advisors to anything uh, to, to, privately to newsmen, the whole the panel was there. And they said that they had basically drafted up this amalgamation scheme for the Americas and given it to the, the governments of Canada and the states and Mexico. The Council on Foreign Relations is a non-governmental body. No one votes them in. At least the plebeians don't get to, get to vote them in. They are a private organization, supposedly, but they belong to the Royal Institute for International Affairs, which once again is private, but it's owned by royalty. That's why it's a Royal Institute for International Affairs. It works on behalf of the old aristocracy, the ones with the big, big money and the big international bankers. These are the ones who groom presidents and prime ministers, and they will never let that out of their grasp, and they certainly won't do it by people saying, please, please be fair, or, or please be democratic. During the Cold War, they said that never would they allow this to happen again, the possibility the possibility ever of people changing their system and bringing a different type of system in, especially one run by the people. So they had declared war on the peoples where they have this Council on Foreign Relations or Royal Institute for International Affairs. It's only called the Council on Foreign Relations for non-British Commonwealth countries. Every Commonwealth country has their own Department of International Affairs and we have the Canadian one for, for Canada, we have the Australian one, we have New Zealand one. They even have one in Pakistan. It comes from foreign relations, that is. And another one in India. They're all over the world. And remember their history, they were started off as a supposedly secret society that Cecil Rhodes ran it wasn't so secret after all, because it acted as the, uh, a sort of unofficial agency that stirred up wars in other countries. They started the South African or the Boer War. They were behind that in Britain. Just had to come in, of course, once it started, that these guys, these guys had created. It had to, Britain came in with the army officially to rescue the poor British subjects. But it was started deliberately. And so they acted like a, an unofficial uh, James Bond organization. And they took their techniques from the Jesuits. That's in their founding, their old founding charter. They merged eventually with the Lord Alfred Milner group that had the debating societies, the round table societies. 
and then were given a royal charter to exist officially on behalf of the Crown, a private body. I'll be back with more after these messages. like take what little illusion of freedom or whatever we've been given 
and use yeah. that to fashion almost like a temporary shift so we can make something better. Yes. Kind of uh -huh. but, but we're all fighting for different goals, it almost feels like. Yeah, well, you're, you know see, there's, I mean? there's the key, that's the crux of the matter. You're right on there. Uh, society has been so scattered uh, as far as its, its particular uh, functions go as a society. It's been so... So uh, it's been under battle for, for the last 60-odd years, tremendously so. And uh, they haven't recovered from that, and they probably won't. Uh, uh, you've got everyone separated from everyone else. You've had scientific uh, breakthroughs that have changed society completely, uh, and uh, even the relations between males and females, you know. Uh, everything has been drastically, radically altered, and... Um, yeah, you also have a society that's now built up as primarily uh, um, a service economy. It's not a productive yeah. economy. You don't make, and so it's fine at the moment as long as this would go on, where everyone can, or most folk can get a job at least to pay their rent and so on, male or female, and survive. But that, because you're not producing anything, a service economy, as the big economists know, because we had this all given to us in Britain when they did the economic union. A service economy is not meant to go on for very long. You're, it's like a dog paddling in the water, and it can't get out. It can't get back up onto the land. You can only paddle for so long. And so it's a temporary, a temporary patch before uh, bigger things come down on you. Uh, so they understand yeah. this. Yeah. I love how they've gone ahead and done the complete double-speak thing in just about every, every well I've found out when I went through part one of the, of the cutting through. But, but the, uh, for example, like, the, and I don't like reality TV, and I've, I've, you know, every once in a while I've turned the TV on to either, you know, plug in a documentary or whatever, yep. and I just try and read. But they've, like, for example, you've talked about the only way we are going to survive is by working together, and yet the number one, you know, type of show, like Survivor is all about slashing and cheating and, and lying, yep. and, you know, it's yep. funny that the uh, t t total screwing they've done to it. Hey, you know, it's, 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 it works so well. See, that's the that's exact technique. Uh, as they've encouraged everyone to think they're doing their own thing, uh, then there's no cohesion in society. So it's very clever that they've encouraged what people really do think is doing their own thing. But when you look at them apart, they're all doing the same things. It's not an individualistic thing. They're actually doing what's being encouraged. And there's no, but there's no cohesion, cohesion at all. I mean, they, they can't have to hardly relate to each other in any, any lasting relationship of any kind. That's how bad it is. And when that happens, government then is your total boss. You see? And, and there's no one to stand around you. There's, no, there's not even a family to stand around you anymore. There's, there's not even that much of a remnant oh, of a clan system. My family will look at some of the stuff, but I don't think they're ready to abandon their savior, which, you know, of course, alienates, you know, yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. So, well, thank That's you right. so much for your work and your time, Alan. Well, thanks for and calling. And I'll be bring some more stuff as well uh, besides the books. So, sure enough. Looking forward. Thank yeah. you, sir. Bye now. And it's true enough, um, during the New Deal era, and that's what it was called when FDR brought out the New Deal. That was an official announcement. People hear it as the New Deal. It's a phrase to them. It really meant, see, the old deal was the Constitution. That's what, that's what he meant. They all knew that at the top. Here's the New Deal. And he basically socialized everything, or the government took control over so much. And before that, you literally had most folk living on the land Exactly what Jefferson said. Jefferson said that this Constitution 
and that was backed up by Franklin and others, is meant to preserve peace and safety for people who are agriculturally based. And he was so pleased, in fact, Jefferson, that, that every small family that he passed had its own, at least one cow and maybe a goat or something, and, and they, were, they could sustain themselves. But it was meant for an agricultural society where people had their land, their total land that was theirs. And, and after the, the Great Depression, and it was still going on when Roosevelt came in, uh, they altered all that. And then, uh, so before you had about 90 odd people, a percent of the public on the land. And after the Great Depression, it all been moved into the cities. And you have now you've got about 90 percent of the pub cities where you're totally controlled and subservient and dependent on the system. And that was all planned that way. It was all planned. And even with the make-work projects that they did, the big, massive make-work projects, it was very similar to the Soviet Union. They're doing the same thing there by using the, the, the people at the bottom to, to build roads and so on, giving them army uniforms, getting them ready for the army mode, living in camps, because World War II was, was getting set up then. So it was already training them to go right into the army. And bingo, it works. Nothing happens spontaneously in the system. These projects, including wars, are worked out way in advance, way, way in advance. Very good strategists, but that was the New Deal. And the other big one, of course, the next part, part three or five, was when George Bush Sr. made his big statement on, on 9-11, uh, back in, uh, it was back in 1991. The, the New World Order coming into view. The idea that was the next official new system coming in. Back with more after the following messages. Emotional creatures more than anything. It's how they feel. 
that's how they, they go by, that's what they go by, how I feel about this, how I feel about that. And they don't get much information, they don't seek out much information on big topics. In fact, they'll turn away, again, through emotion, it's a negative thing, it makes them feel bad. So they don't want to go into it in any depth whatsoever. And so when you start to inform someone mistakenly, because you shouldn't do that unless they ask, if you start to inform them about the real world and what's really going on, you get that strange robotic stare as they look left and right and left and right, back and forth, and you know they're just dying to turn away from you because you're frightening them. The world that you're giving them is frightening them. And deep, deep down, even though they hadn't really thought about the changes they themselves have experienced in life and are still experiencing, uh, it's still at the back of their mind that, that you might be right. You, you just might be right, and that really would terrify them if you are. And, and generally people will blame the messenger. You made me feel unhappy today by telling me this. I don't want to hear it. And, and don't come back unless you've got something pleasant to talk about. And what they're really telling you is if you can come back with a robo-speak and parrot what everyone else is parroting on that particular day, then that's all right. Because you're reinforcing this false belief that everything's just hunky-dory. And, and that's what they want. That's what they want to hear. Adolf Hitler said this, he says, in the, in the big lie there is always a certain force of credibility because the broad masses of a nation are always easy, are always more easily corrupted in the deeper strata of their emotional nature than consciously or voluntarily. And thus in the primitive simplicity of their minds, they more readily fall victims to the big lie than the small lie. That was in Mein Kampf. And that's what all of the big boys who run the media know. Uh, what they give us generally are just big lies. See, being creatures, or earthly creatures here who are prone to fall, you see, we know the small lies and we're kind of suspicious about the false small lies like, oh, I don't believe that. If your friend is telling you something, you know there's something else behind it. But when the ones that you've been trained to perceive as your superiors and your betters, this aristocratic group at the top with the $5,000 suits on, uh, when they tell you a big whopper of a lie, it's almost impossible for you to, for you to believe it because he doesn't even blush. I mean, he's telling millions of people, too. I mean, it's hard for you to tell a little white lie to someone you know. But he's telling this big lie to millions of people without batting an eye. So it must be true. It's as simple as that. Train, train uh, the people down below, the plebeians, uh, that these are superior people that, that somehow are more altruistic in nature than you are. Uh, angelic, in fact. And... It's, it becomes impossible for you to realize that they're, they're actually lying to millions of people without a, a, a blush or a, a nervous twitch. And so they get away with it. And it is easier to believe the big lie. People are very, very willing to believe it. And that's why you're watching a police state being built all around you. And it has been for quite a few years now. Where even the media tells you that everything you do now is monitored. Everything about you is being monitored. And then they tell you the big lie is for your own safety. For your own safety. Every totalitarian system and tyranny that's ever existed ran on information gathering on its citizens. That's its M.O. It's like the teeth of the big bad wolf peeking out behind the robe. We're seeing the teeth here 
that we're not recognizing them for what they are. And history always repeats itself. We know that all of this monitoring, which is global monitoring of every individual, has nothing to do with a caveman who started off in Afghanistan. Nothing whatsoever. It took years and years of strategic planning with high intelligence organizations of every country working in cooperation, probably since World War II, to get all ready and up and mesh together working now today. That's how long it took to get all of this up. And the, the technology was adapted and created, in fact, during the Cold War, the farce of the Cold War, for this particular period coming into existence. All your tax money that then was going to keep you safe was going into creating technology that would monitor you and everything that you did from morning till night, even during the night. We are run like Pavlov's dogs, only better, much, much better. In the Daily Mail, and I've already seen it in another newspaper, the Daily Mail, on the 3rd of January today, it's got a, a comment there on science, which again is a half-truth and half-lie. It says, scientists have developed a machine which is capable of reading our minds and revealing our most private thoughts. Now, this is old stuff being presented as though they're just working on it. American researchers from Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh found that with the aid of a sophisticated scanner and computer program, they were able to determine how the brain lights up when thinking about different subjects. Now, I have a memory. You see, this brain works. And I remember in the 70s, a documentary was shown in Britain from Sweden on, on the magnetic uh, imaging, electromagnetic magnetic, or magnetic imaging, I should say. They call it MRI, and they, they scan the brain, and you can actually tell which parts of the brain light up when you're thinking about something or talking about something, or even using different languages, different parts of the brain will light up. The Chinese use different parts of the brain for their language and for their writing than people who read and write English, for instance. And that was shown back then. But they could also go into other emotions, too, by showing pictures of different things and watching what parts of the brain light up. Now, this has been presented in the Daily Mail, as I say today, as though it's a brand-new discovery, and they're just working on it. So this is for the researchers at the bottom. The real searching was done at the top long ago. And it says, using an advanced form of MRI scanner, your analysis shows the brain how they reacted to 10 drawings of tools and buildings, very primitive stuff. They then used a computer program to work out whether a person was thinking about a tool or a building. The researcher's analysis was found to be 97% accurate, but they went on to show that they could distinguish between two similar objects, such as two different tools, almost as successfully. Now, as I say, really primitive stuff to tell us this was a breakthrough. And this is not the point of the story. This is, this is the first time the technique has been refined to distinguish between uh, similar objects or fine-tuned for a joke. It says the brain scans also showed many different brain regions are involved in processing information, even in the case of something as simple as a line drawing of a hammer. Uh, about four years ago, a book came out, I think it was by Nick Bagage, talking about the same technology. 
and they already had at very high levels of the NSA and so on, computers which would scan your brain as you walked past uh, a house or a building, and it would pick up certain thoughts. And if, they, if it thought you had the wrong thoughts, it could instantly, in milliseconds, change those thoughts by redirecting them back in an altered form into your head. But here's back to the Daily Mail, the old stuff. This is how it's presented to the general public. And it says, thinking about how a hammer is used to activate the areas involved in movement while thinking about the shape of a hammer and what's used for it of other regions. What a, a joke. But the main part is interesting, and that's at the very bottom. It tells you the real intent of it. And I'll tell you what that is after these messages. On demand, this is We the People Radio Network. Yeah, uh, I've been working on your uh, 
read your books a couple times and working through your blurbs. Still got a couple of clogged cylinders in the brain that I'm trying to get idling right. Yeah. But I wanted to get uh, your opinion on a guy. I know you dabbled in poetry. And I was reading uh, some old uh, James Russell Lowe uh, poems and some of his quotes. But yeah. I also know he was, you know, he's in the, was it the Porcelain Club at Harvard? And, yeah. You know, he was kind of a real establishment guy, mm-hmm. it seems like. But he writes all this stuff, and I didn't know uh, if you could say anything to his uh, sincerity. Or... It's, I, I don't know about sincerity. You can never really tell a person's sincerity. But I, I do know that... There's, there's actually documentation out. I'm going to read it maybe next week. That's now declassified from the U.S. and Canadian and British governments, admitting that the last 50 years has been run culture-wise totally from poetry, music, and everything. The whole, the whole culture industry uh, by departments of the CIA and MI6. And... Uh, it's a scary thought to think that even your mainstream poets were also an employee of the CIA, isn't it? Right. Um, well, looking at some of his connections, I didn't. I thought he had some backing besides just him. Or a, oh, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. That wasn't, you know, the greatest. Yes. Uh, but, and and yeah. that's, that's a sad truth. Uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's astounding. I knew, I knew it was pretty bad, but I, I didn't know myself it was as bad as all that. Right, right. But well, it is. <laughs> and another thing you were just talking about earlier, about that glaze you get, that look when you try to tell somebody something that's not from the television. Yeah. I was sitting here in Texas with some buddies of mine, and they're just blowing these, these big chemtrails. Mm-hmm. I mean, big time with the cross patterns. I mean, just real obvious. I mean, <laughs> I these ones. They were just gigantic. Yeah. It was such a beautiful morning. That, and that's how they do it here, you know, I'm sure they do it everywhere. Like, beautiful morning, they come in, and before you know it, it's hazy everywhere. Yes. But I mentioned it to some buddies, and I made a joke, said something about, uh, must be some, you know, new bugs they're spraying. They uh-huh. knew what I was getting at, because they've heard me talk before. And yeah. it was just this look like, you know, you better start talking about the Cowboys. Or, yeah. You know, something. But we yeah. ain't going there. Oh, they won't. It's just amazing, isn't it? And I, I, I remember the, the Beatles. The Beatles sung a song. It was a uh, 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 part of the song that said, um, "They t- talk about the skies turning tangerine and so on." They're talking about LSD, of course. Right. But we're actually coming to the stage now where you'll, you'll shortly see all this happening. In fact, I've seen rainbow bursts uh, next to the sun, not arches, but the actual rainbow bursts, it's like oval shapes and so on, uh, with the polymers in the air after spraying. And uh, others, others have noticed it too. And it's a new phenomenon to the scientists. They can't explain it, of course. They're totally puzzled. Well, I'm sure but, they'll um, come out. They'll have uh, some kind of spin on it. Well, I don't even know if they need to. I used to think they'd have to. You're so right. They, they, they don't need it anymore, do they? <laughs> and that's what kind of scared me because I was thinking, wow, if this is so obvious and nobody yeah. will talk about this. Yes. And there's no hope because, I mean, we're sitting out here, you know, you can see it. I can, we both have eyes. Yeah. And you can't tell me there's a condensation trail because I can point you to another plane later. That's sure right. what it looks like, but, and that's uh-huh. spooky stuff. Oh, uh, it's, it's tragic, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's tragic. Because, you know, when I first started reading some of the stuff, getting into your blurbs, and, you know, I chased some other rabbits in the wrong directions. But, I, you know, that naive part of you thinks, oh, man, let me go tell the guys. 
you know, I'll yep. rally the truth. We'll stomp this out by tomorrow. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, it's no big deal. As soon as I start talking, everybody's going to, you know, jump up and go, all right, let's go fix it. But that's not right. the case. Yeah. Yeah. They just don't want to know any bad news and don't rock the boat because it scares them. You yeah. get scared. Yeah. And it gets tiresome with the, you know, I do my best with, like you said, the robo talk. But, uh, that wear you out. But it does wear you out. It wears you out having to go back into their world and talk about the things that you know are going to please them. Yep. That's just it. Yep. Yeah, it's the standard playbook. You just, uh, you know, pull a sports card or yep. something you read in the news, some scandal. You know, stick to the That's playbook right. and everybody's happy. That's right. But, it's uh, sad. Sad. All right. Well, let's go on. I appreciate all your work. I just ordered another book yours for a present. I got that video coming. Okay. So, uh, I appreciate every that. time I get a question, it gets answered if I go back to your blurbs. There's a lot of information in those blurbs, yeah. Right. All right. Well, appreciate it, Alan. You have a good night. You too. Bye now. And, and it's true enough. What a sad condition. I was thinking that today, that the leaders, that's why they're so arrogantly uh, confident that they can pull all, all of this off. They understand the mentality of most people and the, the depth of their conditioning. They understand it. And they understand it before. I, they understood it before I was born. I mean, Huxley talked about this coming up. And, and he was quite confident they could pull it off because they understood human nature. It's sad, isn't it? Tragic. And very, very scary when you look around you and you see all of that. Now, there's Dan in Colorado. Are you there, Dan? Hello, Dan. All right. Well, pleasure talking with you. I've uh, just recently found your show, and I've been on the Internet and gone through everything I can find on your site. Uh, so I've got a, I've got a pages of questions, but I know I don't have enough time. So, so let me just get to the uh, some of them. Uh, n- number one, uh, I want to contribute to you because you've done so much for me with just, just my listening to you. I'll have a, uh, a movie I'd recommend for you. Uh, it's called Return in Red. I don't know if you've seen it. No. Okay. It's about uh, EMF uh, signals uh, altering the uh, people's minds and how the government was uh, <clears throat> using the public as guinea pigs. Oh, yeah. Okay. A small town uh, returning. Not a very good movie, but an excellent premise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, secondly... Uh, well, it wasn't based on truth, was it? Because, they, see, they did try it on uh, uh, the people of Maine. That, that's official. Well, you know, now, that, that leads me to a question. I've always, I'm glad you brought that up because it's somewhere in these pages that I have for you. Uh, you made a quick... One time you made a blurb, a uh, 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 mention about the fact that uh, Jacob's Ladder was an actual event. In Vietnam. Oh, they, they did try that particular drug. That is true. The, the drug is they did definitely try that. Even Bo Grice admitted that in one of his talks. Okay. But they did some mind-altering experiments unbeknownst to soldiers in, in Vietnam. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, now, uh, my, my question uh, is that uh, this information, you know, that, that we're, we're learning, and uh, I find that it, it's sort of like addictive. I, I've been looking at this for many years. And I'm wondering if somehow uh, the information isn't uh, uh, almost self-destructive, because of, co- of course it causes you to lose your friends, in some cases your family, mm-hmm. because it makes you seem like you're, you know, you're on a different plane. But yes. uh, do you think that the information itself can somehow, because you're saying that that these, uh, you know, for a better, a lack of a better word, uh, evil scientists are uh, so adept at doing things. Uh, 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 is it possible that the information itself can be some sort of a no. detriment to the to the psycho? No. no, no. You see, if you don't understand what's happening, there's, there's no, there isn't a snowflake chance in hell you're going to change it. 
You have to understand what's happening in order for anything to start growing. And to create uh, I hear your music. Can I hold? Yeah, hold over. We'll back after these messages. <laughs> 